And now, from the dry hills of Santa Clarita, California, it's time for America's least listened to podcast. It's Christianese with your blessing-filled hosts, Jared Burkholder, Dan Satchoff, and Brian Irwin. Hey, welcome to Christianese. Uh, that's just a little bit of a, a flavor of what happens here behind the scenes. What, uh, arguing? Yeah, arguing. Flavor arguing. of the month. That's <laughs> it. Everyone's yelling at each other in three, two, one. So anyway, you know. <laughs> Everything's rosy. Your mother is. So anyway, back to the show. Everybody back to the show. Dan Satchoff, Brian Irwin. Jared Burkholder. Jared Burkholder, Jerry, how are you? Can you Great. do that again and make Great. me third? Because this is, I'm just the visitor. Yeah, let yeah. me let me do that do again. again. Take two. Dan Satchoff, okay, first, Jerry Burkholder. Can you not start with yourself? Because typically when you introduce, you shouldn't, yeah. you, you go with the person yeah. and then you put yourself. You know, let funny, me do that. I've actually been thinking of myself as the most important person in this triad. So I'd love Yeah, which I expected. All right, let me start Well, based way. on what he just said, mm-hmm. why don't you start with me? And yeah. then, because I, actually, yeah, no, start with yourself. Yeah. So I'm going to go to the Jer- next room and do my own podcast. How's that? That would be funny. Jared's doing one in his mind right now. Now, welcome back to Christianese. Uh, we've had a little bit of a break here because we've been doing summer vacations, right, guys? Well, yeah. I don't know that I would call it that for on my end. Uh, <laughs> we've been taking trips. Trips. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing life while it was hotter. but um, <laughs> Doing life while it was hotter. Yeah, that's been fun. Wow. Been I took my trip nice. out, out of the, the, the baking. Yeah. And so it wasn't yeah. as bad. I actually left during the biggest part of the heat wave. Thankfully. Was it hot in Wisconsin? Yeah, but not like it was here, so it was fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. I still have uh, weather from other places I've lived on the East Coast on my phone, and it's like 86. Mm. Like, yeah, it's humid, but come on. I would kill for 86. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you want to know what the most exciting thing what about it, going back to Wisconsin was? Is that East your NPR Coast? voice? No, being able to see the sky. Oh, Dude. Man. Right? Stars. Yeah, they I, exist. Yeah. Did you know that stars? Yeah. There's. Did you know that there's more than three stars in the sky? No idea. Because <laughs> if you live in California, there's three stars. Well, in well the when sky. I saw my porch, I go, oh, a new star. That's ah, a plane. <laughs> a new star. It's a radio tower. Yeah. Um, is that partially because though you guys were out in the woods and you don't have the city oh, lights, yeah. right? You get, and it's yeah. funny. You see everything. You see. Uh, yeah. You can even see the satellites flying around. It's That's like awesome. bizarre. You're like. I, you forget sometimes that all of right. that is there because, specifically me, because of where we live, right, it's, just, right, right. it's just never dark enough. I mean, I'm yeah. sure we can, yeah. I, I don't know if you can go to Big Bear maybe or something like that where you can see it, but just where, where I am, never. You know never. what Jared and I call that? What's that? God's creation. Okay. That's the exactly sa- right. The satellite. Just what a the great segue. <laughs> Thank you. The, sa- the satellite or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. All of it, yeah. Okay. All, all of it. Okay. <laughs> yep. Uh yeah man it's well it's good to it's good to have you back Brian has a beard now too so yeah. you guys now are, are bearded and I'm not yeah bearded. and why did you shave uh, did your agent you know, tell you you had to it's a it's a business decision uh, I was getting <laughs> <A> business decision <laughs> you workshopped it and people were like your focus group told you they had shave. a family meeting <laughs> everybody vote secret ballot look <laughs> as a freelancer I'm at the mercy of whatever people are casting me as and so I was getting submitted on a bunch of things that were my pictures sans beard and so if I go in and I don't look like that it usually probably wouldn't matter but in my mind because I'm so used to day playing and just kind of taking whatever gig I can get I was like okay I'm not going to I'm not going to fight this uh, I'm just going to shave it and go in and, uh, and so that's kind of that No it is true like you unfortunately because of that you, you know, somebody hires you as the bearded guy, and then you come right. in, you don't have the beard. It's like, well, can you guys wait six weeks or eight yeah. weeks until my beard is back to where you're like, yeah. no. It's a year and a yeah. half for me. Yeah, okay. So you <laughs> kind of have to live beard. with it. Yeah. Okay, that's This a- is like the beard version of Donald Trump's hair. Like, I grow it long and comb it where it needs to go. <laughs> is that what, <laughs> That's exactly what's happening. Comb over beard? Yeah. 
It looks great. Whatever you're doing, it's working, Jerry. Well, it's Rogaine. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little. It's all. It's 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 better than a teenage beard, which starts only on the neck and never quite makes it onto the face. Right, the first teenage it's like beard. the Wolfman beard. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to do a peer-reviewed study about how many people who start with neck beards end up working in the fast food industry. Because I would imagine statistically, <laughs> do you get a hairnet that? Jared, as long as it's peer-reviewed, that's all I can say. Oh my god, well, that's a good segue because what I would like to talk about today. Yeah, and uh, and it's all about you, Jared. This. Well, thank you. You know, I can keep coming back to that and finally four episodes in <laughs> i'd love to talk about work yeah uh mostly selfishly because i'm fascinated by what you do and i'm fascinated by what you do i just pointed at dan and brian um and subsequently we're fascinated with what you do i don't know that you should be but uh, i think we are it's a thing uh, and, i think it's uh, interesting we'll have an existential component here at the end because that's what we do sure um what does existential mean i was just gonna ask me if you have, do you have a word of the day calendar that but were we doing sausage words of the day the last few episodes where we had processed meat words of the day? It's pretty clear you need to keep it simple with the two of us here, okay? <laughs> we both come from the sticks. <laughs> the sticks in Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, Brian, uh, let's start with you. <clears throat> I don't know. I'm just fascinated by the comedy <laughs> It was really world. silent. I'm like, let's, okay. Let's do that's it. All, that's all I got. Um, let's have a staring contest for a podcast. That's good. <laughs> hey, is that my phone going off? I think. Yeah, was, you need to... Know. Yeah. For a guy that's done live performance Seriously And music The <laughs> fact that you don't even know The first thing you should always do Like yeah, even yeah, when you had it for a sec But somebody called you uh, Is put the thing <laughs> on the floor If you yeah. put it on vibrate So that it doesn't vibrate yeah. on the table no, Thank you You know what you just stare at me And you're like Yeah you. no I'll keep it on the table I would love to make a PSA <laughs> For everyone You know Let's just say 55 and older When yeah. the phone goes off And I was telling If you hit the volume button yep. On any phone even if it's a Nokia, it's going to silence that immediately. Because this happens in church a lot. Somebody, their phone will go off. Yep. They take some 12 minutes to find it. And then they're looking <laughs> at it. And they just like, it's ringing. Every, now there's a thousand people looking at them. And they're yep. looking at their phone. And it's like, hey, dum-dum, hit the volume <laughs> Now you can make that. You know, Does that throw you off your game when a phone goes off during a sermon? No. But it I think about it. Yeah. It's funny the things you notice. Yeah. Like, you know, when I'm... I'm Preaching in our we kind of a big auditorium, so there'll be like 800, 900 people in there. Yeah, and like that dude's asleep, that dude's watching the football game. Wow, that dude's picking his nose. So those kids in the back are straight macking because I did that when I was their age. Like they're doing the they yeah, yeah yeah through that thing. Yeah, that's so interesting that as you're as you're doing that because as performers we notice the you same. You can multitask. Thing. That, that's yeah. right. That's the yeah. that, you're, that's the it's the muscle that your brain develops right. that you can do multiple things at once. You throw yeah. your talking kind of the back of your brain. Yeah. you have a yeah. few seconds to think like, yeah. what is happening? Right I'm assuming there. your brain does the same thing when you're on stage. You can you can literally be thinking about something else in front of you, but oh, yeah. still be doing exactly what you were planning on doing. Though and we have yeah. four services, so I do the same sermon four times. So by the end of it, you know you're not on autopilot, but you definitely have more brain space. Then you're something like, what did I eat for lunch today? <laughs> <laughs> Not that guy's yeah. booger that he's eating. That's right. That's right. Mm, Go to yeah. town on a big guy. One time, a guy who we both know, who I won't name here. Yeah, um, that's probably a good. Was idea. like you could tell he was struggling the whole time, and like halfway through the service, he just gave up and like put his feet up on the pew and just pulled his hat down and went to sleep. And it was like, no, we're like way. in a bus station right now. Like this guy's just, <laughs> oh my god, I can't do it anymore. This Burke older guy's killing me. Wow. <laughs> It was great, and that was an elder. So that's probably that's not right. a good sign. An elder. Wow. So Brian, how did how does one get into? I'm fascinated by comedy. I love to listen to it. I don't understand it. How do you get into that? How did you? Oh, first off, no one's asking I, you. I can guarantee you that, right, Dan? No one's ever like, <laughs> "Hey, please." You know what the world needs more of? People like you. Can you? 
<laughs> so I want to be very clear. Your teachers in school weren't like. <laughs> yeah, my teachers in school were saying the exact opposite. <laughs> they were like, "Knock it off." Yep. Swear to you, yeah. knock it off. I you know I was completely disruptive in school. If there, I had one regret, and unfortunately, it's like it's probably a standard for Just most one. people that go into entertainment. They're probably a little obnoxious in school right. in one yep. way, shape, or form to someone or something. Um, you know, I, I don't know, but I do. My earliest memories of fascination were Johnny Carson. Mm. stand-up comedians being on Johnny Carson and watching, I guess I was fascinated with the fact that a human being just stood there yeah, and just told these stories or whatever they were doing and had this weird control. And like people, they were having fun. The people that were watching them were having fun. And um, I remember being in my dad's office and sitting there with a bunch of uh, crayons and a bunch of paper and folding it over and creating this um, character named Bill Smith. And Bill Smith was a talk show host. <laughs> it's a pretty exotic a name. Yeah. yeah, right? Yeah, I know. Ah, I look at me going away Caucasian. Yeah. We're from Wisconsin. All I'm my characters are Bill Smith <laughs> and Jim Tidwell. Randall. Yeah, and that was it. And then it was wow. just, you know, uh, and then the VCR age came along, yeah, and I yeah, just yeah. started messing around in front of the cameras there, and like, you know, what is that all about? Checking, you know, it's there's a little self indulgent. I'm not gonna lie to you, but that's interesting. <laughs> um, so you, but then you didn't always start out doing that because you were in the record industry and yeah. Well, music. okay, so which yeah. uh, you bring up a good point. I was also mortified to do it in front of people. So I would, I can do it in groups and all that kind of stuff, but like I never did school plays. Like I remember even being right. and like refusing to do like in, in grade school, like they'd be like, who wants to be this? And like I, my hand never went up, but yet if there was nobody asking to do anything, I could put on a show, right? Yeah. It was a, that weird dynamic. Yeah. So I kind of got out of that and became very obsessed with music in high school and uh, and in college. Uh, and then I got into college radio, and that's kind of what got me into getting to know bands and doing all that stuff. So I was like a band manager, radio disc jockey, which was easy because, How do you again... How get into to radio? I had to know somebody. There was a very popular station in Milwaukee called WMSC, which is... WMSC? Like this, <laughs> which is... Uh, <laughs> Uh, guitar Smasher T-shirts. Everybody had them back there. So wow, uh, which was in the Clash, right? So the uh, uh, anyway. So what was your slot? Uh, I my first one was midnight to three a.m. It's <laughs> a great slot. But it's I gotta be honest with you though, it's more interesting because the people that call, call are more in, interesting yeah. between midnight and three than they are between noon and three. Wait, so oh, people yeah. actually would call in oh, from course. midnight to three? Absolutely. And you would talk to them on air? Uh, not on air. No, just <laughs> off air. That was that's what you. That's how you. Did you have the delay? Time. Did you have delay? <laughs> Hmm? Did you have delay? No, that's, so why, that's you why you put can't put anybody talk about on the air. air. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you could lose your license if you did that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I had a friend that was that was going to school as an engineer, okay. and he I was I begged and pleaded to let him because I was also fascinated with radio, and I begged to him to get me on the air with him, and so we did. We had fun. We did that for a while, and ultimately, so how did you how did you get from that to stand up again then? Through radio, actually. So mm-hmm. in radio, and this I always used to joke about this in radio. Um, when you become a DJ, basically you have to do personal appearances. And I worked for a station that was relatively popular, but it was not the most popular station in town. And we, it was a in Milwaukee's a very like classic rock, traditional yeah. rock station kind of market. And I worked at the alternative station, so we were kind of like you know third or fourth in the ratings. But they would put us, they would force the salespeople would would force us to go do these events at places they didn't want us. <laughs> so I had to learn how to. Do public speaking yeah. Win the in crowd, front of people who yeah. wanted nothing more than to beat me up, get rid of me, get out of the way, please turn the music back on, 
please turn the TV back on. Like I like literally the heart, like you just, yeah. you get thrown into that. Yeah. And I started developing like this defense mechanism. Like, well, I'm paid to be here. I got to figure it out. I can't bail. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. my job. Right. And then eventually when I was on the air, I was like, I want to do stand up. Um, and so I manipulated, uh, I created a game show on the radio that got me in conjunction with, a, with the local club. No way. And uh, I was like, let's do one time. live there, there. And I just got <laughs> myself up on stage. And okay. that was it. So talk to me about the first time. Like, what is that like? Because, I mean, it's one thing, like, when you're in radio, you necessarily can't see your audience. Or even in a gig where... Yeah, you're kind of surrounded. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's not structured. Right. But, like, when it's just you and the microphone and people, what's that yeah, like? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I'd be interested to get Dan's take on this. But I'll never forget. Like, you think, you think that it's easy. Because you sit in the back, and I I had gone to a couple shows, yeah, a couple live shows, and um and just watched, mm-hmm. and you know seeing what they did and how they did it, stuff like that, and you just you'll never know until you take that first your name is called, mm-hmm. you take that first step on the stage, and I'll never mm-hmm. forget that because you're crossing a threshold at that point, and it's at that moment that it's you realize how structured it is because everybody is like okay, go. Yeah. And it's you, yeah. ver- you think in your mind, it's you versus them. That's like kind of like a, I think a default, like, cause lights are on you, microphones yeah. on you. They're all just sitting there drunk and doing their thing or right. dreading, not even drunk. They're just sitting there. They, they, ha- you think they have the power cause yeah. they don't have to do this. Right. You've, right. you volunteered to do this. So good luck, buddy. And initially like they're not like, I think when a, a famous comedian gets on stage, like you're already expecting it to be funny. So you're for him. But initially, they're not for you. They don't care. No, they're not for you. And um, it takes a while to kind of like deal with that. But you learn very quickly whether you belonged up there or not. Thankfully, um, having done some public speaking through radio, I was relatively comfortable on stage. It's not that anybody knew me, even though I was a DJ. I don't think nobody was really there, like knew me, knew me. So it didn't matter. I was just another schmuck trying to do stand up. Um, and I have, I, there's some pictures and there is a little, remember the little tiny recording tapes that they used to, yeah. used to oh, record yeah. before yeah. iPhones sure. somewhere is that first set. And, um, I actually did really well. That's awesome. Yeah. So you still have it. Uh, yeah. Somewhere. How much time cool. did you do? I think like five minutes. It probably felt like 50 years, but right. about five minutes <laughs> and it was fun. And then, um, I was like, I, I'm going to do this again. It wasn't like in that moment. I remember the first time I ever preached a sermon, it was horrible. And I knew it was horrible while I was doing it. Yeah. But it was also like, I love this. Yeah, you and want, that's the thing. You, you have way? to you have to appreciate the horror of the moment. Like that's I think and, and I'll be curious to get your take on this, Dan. That's as as a live or a stage performer, you have to know right away. Yeah, this is this sucks right now, but I'm okay with being up here. Like you mm-hmm. either because if you are not okay with being right. up there, you're probably gonna quit. Yeah. Like because mm-hmm. you 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 know that it's gonna get better or it can get better. Right. Yeah. But if you don't see that, you're, you're there's no way. There's just you're just gonna go back into the stream and sit with the others. You yeah. Know? I mean, did you feel that same way initially? Well, yeah. I mean, you're much more of a, a, a pure stand up than I ever was though. Like I did some stand up in Boston and stuff, but I was absolutely horrible. Like I had ideas and premises in my head that just killed or would kill within if I soft pitched it to friends like a group of friends are like ah, that's hilarious I remember the first time I ever did stand up was at Nick's Comedy Stop in Boston and it was just it was death because I rate the minute I didn't get a laugh on the first thing then I sabotaged myself and I was like yeah. oh my god this I gotta race through this this is horrible this is the worst thing ever 
And um, so I never, I, I did like a couple others and then I quit and I never did it. I didn't start again because until I washed out of the groundlings. But after, that's still live stage performance. Well, though. yeah, and I'd done theater and stuff, but that's a different muscle too than you're talking about. Because a lot of times, boy, you know, a pure stand-up, like you can, you know how to pull something out of a nosedive. You know how to salvage it. You also... Do for, I? Well, yeah, you do. Yeah, because I've <laughs> seen you do it. Like again, and you're... You're more of a a, 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 a a true stand-up. Like, I get up and do characters, and so even if my stuff doesn't land, just the awkward weirdness of it sometimes can can salvage it and can yeah. pull it out. But for me, it was more about, I don't want to let this beat me. So even if I was, even if I have a horrible set somewhere, I'm like, I can't stop because I can't end on that horrible set. And mm-hmm. then you have a good one, and then you're chasing that all the time, so it's like a drug. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, okay, now I got to yeah. get that next one. And then the next one sucks, and you're like... Oh boy, okay, this one's not going to beat me. I can't quit yet. And then you just keep, you kind of just keep going. I'm curious with with when you do sermons, can like, and I, Dan, I'm a, I'm hoping you feel the same way. I can feel the energy of an audience in front of me, whether regardless of how they're acting, mm-hmm. yeah. I you can feel something. And I believe that there's some sort of like we are all connected in some. It it, it, it almost kind of feels like a weird like electrical energy, like. We always talk about the energy of a room, but you you feel something. So you usually can tell if people like are all there collectively had a good day or a bad day or we're having a good time or a bad time right now. No matter what the level of participation is, mm-hmm. there is an energy. Do you get that same feel when you're doing a sermon? Like, like yeah. no matter how they're reacting to you, you feel like an energy going on? Totally. Yeah, yeah. So we have, like for instance, at our church, we have four services, two Saturday, two Sunday. And the second one on Saturday starts at 710. Most of the people who come in, like have, have come from work, is not, we have a, we can seat about 1,800 people. This service might have 150 people in there. Okay. So the room is, feels empty, it feels dead. And like my joke is, sometimes it feels like the morgue dropped off cadavers in the pews. <laughs> you like, tell the people that when I tell them, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Whereas sometimes you can just feel people are excited to be there. You know, when I was a, a I started as a youth pastor. We had service on Wednesday night, so kids would come from school, they'd come from doing homework or practice, and sometimes it felt like, the analogy I used in my mind, like, I have to put these kids on my back and, like, take them where we need to go because they want to fall asleep right now. And so, you know, I have to be as an engaging communicator so that they're not five minutes in, like, zoning out, glassing over, and probably... What's different from what I do is like my goal is not just to entertain them. I certainly want them to learn something. And not everybody comes in a frame of mind to want to engage with material or content, especially as youth pastors. Sometimes their parents just made them be there. So it was kind of like dance, monkey boy. So I have a question. Um, I've always had the the early issue of being a live stand-up or entertainer is when people are just miserable and you're like, you know, you chose to be here. Right. Yeah. So try to engage. Look, and and everyone and from an entertainment standpoint, yeah, we can also deliver a dud on stage, and that's on us. I get that. Mm-hmm. But you should still your intent is you can't you made this choice. So I'm curious from a religious standpoint, what do you feel like, hey man, if if you're not into this, what are you doing here? If this is just a process for you, or if you think that you have to do this. See, I I would look at it differently. Like when you describe that, I'm like, well, what what are you doing there if you don't feel like you, you don't really want to be there? I don't know. Do, yeah. I mean, wh- what are they getting out of it if they're like, it's seven ten. I gotta go to church today. It's it's you know what I mean. Like that just seems like yeah. not right to me. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. I mean, 
can I answer that question on two levels, yep. Brian? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, if you have three, I'll take it, but I'll take two. Start too. with you the know, first level. Is, uh, it's not quite a stool. It's just two legs. Um, from a communication standpoint, I get to teach a, a class on communication at the Masters University. And I tell my students, you know, for <laughs> us in a church context, I think of like the intro to a sermon as kind of a funnel. Like people are coming in with all kinds of stuff. Like some are like jazzed to be there. For some people, they just lost a family member. They're grieving. Some people had a full day of work. Other people are coerced by a family member to be there. And so like, it's my job as a communicator <laughs> uh-huh. to kind of take them, they're all across the spectrum, and hopefully gain their interest in what we're talking about and funnel them down to the main point of the text that we're looking at. Uh-huh. And hopefully, you know, wherever you started when you came in the room, hopefully we can all kind of get to the same spot from a communication standpoint. From a, a spiritual standpoint, uh, people have lots of different reasons that they, they go to church. So like... There's a group of us that, that pray together before we have a service every weekend. And one of the things you know we think about and pray about is some people are coming in and they're grieving. They're just hurt. They're just beat up from stuff that's going on in life. So they're coming to church kind of with a different need than somebody who like, everything's great and I just want to grow in my faith and learn more. Um, as opposed to, yeah, some people's kids are there because they, they have to be. Some people are questioning. Some people are angry at God. Some people are excited. Um, so people are all kind of coming into, and maybe that's what's different from what we do. I would imagine that people are going to a comedy club like, I'm here to be entertained, you know? Well, <laughs> or maybe the food's really great. <laughs> or like, this is a less awkward date than... Well, the reason why I ask you is, so one of the things that stuck me in a conversation I had with Dan a long time ago was that, you know, in respects to how Dan had um, talked to me about his faith was that it's not about the place that you're at. does not define your belief, right? So I always wonder... Um, when somebody like reluctantly is going, it's like, well, if it's that, if you're reluctant, I just, I, it, it confuses me. Like you don't have to be super jazzed, right? You don't have to be all jacked up on Jesus as us non non-believers, uh, you know, call <laughs> it, right? Is that the phrase? Wow. Uh, yeah, sometimes when someone, that's a great sometime book. when somebody's like too much, you're like, woo, that's somebody's ju- jacked up on well, Jesus today. That's, cocaine, that's Jared's autobiography. Sometimes it's jacked up on cocaine. Jesus. Right. But you don't have to say... <laughs> But, you know, it, I just kind of, to me, I don't get it. It's like you should want to be there. And if you don't want to be there, don't go. Yeah. But don't look at it like, well, man, I guess I'm not getting let into heaven today because I didn't want to. You know what I mean, like to me, it's very confusing. Well, I think, and I think you're assuming that, see, that's what a lot of people assume that, like, if you're a person of faith, if you're a Christian, for example, that you're always at this place where it's like, hey, everything is sunshine and roses, and man, I'm so... St-. And I think, to Jared's point, and I can't imagine this as a pastor, because this is this is a pressure that I don't feel as a performer, that probably you don't, because even if you don't believe, but if you're, if you're somebody who believes in God's Word, and you're communicating God's Word, there is a, there's a high bar. That's why I don't like to teach. Like, I do teach sometimes, and I help facilitate a class with Jared at church, but... It freaks me out because I feel the pressure of like if you're just telling jokes, I mean then it's all about you up there. But if there's a, a higher purpose to it, that it's a lot of pressure for me. But to your point of like, you know, sometimes I'm at church and I'm just I'm for whatever reason my heart is not in it at that moment. But it's amazing when you when you give yourself over to listening to a sermon and and that's for me that's what god's word does for me is when i actually read the words and it, it's it, it does something to me internally that i can't i can't even describe but but initially when i when i'm there yeah. i'm not always I, we're all people still just because we're in church doesn't mean that all of a sudden we are together that and happens. sing kumbaya yeah. and pat each other on the back no this is analogies break down and this one is 4 seconds old so it might really break down <laughs> but i think it's probably more akin to like when i go to the doctor 
I'm not always jazzed to be there. Now, again, I'm never jazzed to be there. So analogies and limitations and all that. Yeah. But I know that I need to be there. So like a couple of weeks ago, I had one of the most excruciating pains in my back and stomach that I've ever had in my life. And I went to the doctor twice in a weekend. And I spent like all Saturday at the urgent care, yeah. which is as fun as it sounds. And it turns out... <laughs> I this was is just, the best. I was just really backed up. I was going to say, I bet you it's gas. Really it's backed so up. funny how many things lead back to gas. You go to WebMD, like everything, you're like, you know, I've got an earache. So, and it's like, well, you, have you farted? <laughs> and you're like, so everything is tied to a fart? So like, it, rule number one, is it tied to a fart? Yeah. If, it, if it is, you'll be okay. Well, I called the nurse and she's like, it sounds like you might have appendicitis. You should go in right now. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. So I get there and they do an x-ray. Like, yeah, you have a ball of gas that's trapped up here. Isn't like, that crazy? Oh. But it took a few days for you it to get there because we're like, praying they for me in a bunch of medicine. You prayed I, for a fart. We prayed. No, we, we didn't know it was wrong. So of course your head goes all kinds of places. Gosh, could it be? I met heart? another. Could nurse it be the other reason why you should stay off the internet because it will right. always take right. you to the worst. True. It'll take you either to a fart or the darkest place. So. <laughs> right. And I'm terrified. Like I'm gonna pee blood for hours. Yeah. Oh, the kidney stones. I've heard about that. Right. Well, I, that's I what we thought it was too. And then I Jared texted me. Guess what? I'm just backed up. I'm like, oh, way better than a kidney stone. I've heard people who've had to pass that stuff. Like, no. But I think Jared's right. You know, just because you're in church, uh, we've said this before, I think, on the podcast, Tim Keller, I think it, this originated with yeah. Tim Keller, uh, church is a, a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So just because, and I think as a pastor, you see this even more, that so many of us are there, whether it's to check off the box, whether it's because we know we need to be there, but we don't feel like being there, but that's part of that's part of becoming a body of believers or having a community like that is that... You know, I know ultimately it's for my good, and I trust that God is going to use that time somehow, and it may not even be then. It may be two weeks down the line. I can't tell you the number of times where I have walked out of somewhere, and I didn't necessarily feel connected to the sermon just because sometimes our brain wanders, whatever. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, it will come back to me. and be like, oh, man, I remember what somebody said from the pulpit that... Yeah. That resonates with me, that gives me strength in a moment of weakness or, or gets me through something. Yeah. But you hit something, that, and this goes back to what I want to ask you, is if they're just coming there to check off a box, do you, I don't want to say want it there because that's negative. That's not what I mean by that. I got you. But what I'm saying is, as someone, because in, 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 in some respects you are a performer, your job is to engage them, so you have to, there has to be some sort of something to you. You otherwise, be terrible at it, yeah. Correct, yeah, otherwise it's not... And, but the question, my question to you is, is it, is it about butts in the seats or ultimately for you? Meaning that then just, if I don't care, check off the box and come, or are you, do you believe that, look, if you're not into it today, then don't come today. It's totally fine. It's not, I'm trying to, yeah, I'm no. trying to understand no, no, where, understand where, from. where, where, where a belief is based on a location versus a belief is based on a belief. Does so, that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it's, it's never like. If you don't want to be here, then there's the door, okay? Well, first Maybe, off, you're a teen girl right yeah, now. So you're a teen mom. Let me tell you something, okay? Uh, there are better... No, no. Um, yeah, I think people come for a lot of different reasons, and we don't have like a motivation check when people come in. No, no, no. And, I'm just curious, though, from your standpoint, though. Well, And I don't get paid based on butts and seats, right? Right. So like for me, it's not a we got to fill the room right. kind of thing. Um, is that a bringer show? Right. Yeah, right. Thank I've heard you. of that. That sounds terrible, by the way. It is terrible. I've never it's experienced every, that. Anything that you think it might be. <laughs> For anybody is. listening to the podcast who doesn't know what a bringer show is, it means you have to bring a certain number of people or you don't get stage time. So yeah. they have to buy drinks, they have to buy admission or whatever. Which feels like just invite oh, them into your And they also room. have to watch 47 other people go on stage before <laughs> right. your friend. So it's like Nicholas Nickleby. After about six days, you get out of the stand-up uh, show and you're like, wow, that was that was like Vietnam. Yeah, I came horrible. to see my, perf- my friend perform 
on Tuesday. He got up on Wednesday. <laughs> and it was really great. Yeah. But anyway, to get back to it, so, so motivation. No, but, but I think regardless of why someone has showed up there, um, and we have, we have homeless people that, that wander in their mid-service just because they're, they're looking for something, looking for food. They want a place to sit. Um, so for me, it's not about the motivation. I genuinely believe, that's why I do this and believe this, that what we have in, in Christ and the gospel meets the deepest need of every person. So regardless of why you came there, I feel like we have a solution for, for what's going on in your life. And but I want should you that to, same, But should that same person, if they choose to not go, how, how should they feel? Yeah, so... For in, 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 in your world. Like in a Roman Catholic worldview, for instance, right? It's predicated on you... We're not throwing anybody under the bus here. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think, they've done, a, at all. I think <laughs> they've done a good job doing that to themselves. Especially recently, right? Recently. Yeah, but I think, no, this is honest. In worldview, we're looking at different worldviews. That's fine. We're not throwing anybody under the bus. We're examining it. Yeah. So no buses. These are all just sleds. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, but, not that we're saying buses are bad. Buses, buses are do bad a great... Buses not that there's anything great. wrong with that. A bus. Unless right? it's a non-binary bus. That's true. Am I right? Okay. Well, and that's the next episode we have is binary <laughs> transportation technology. Yeah. Um, but from Roman Catholic worldview, you're... Your constancy in your faith is predicated on you hitting certain benchmarks Correct. consistently, right? From an evangelical or, or Christian worldview, I would say that's categorically not how we think about our faith. Okay. But how we do think about our faith is uh, my Christianity isn't me having a relationship with Christ, getting my Bible, and going out to the desert and just trying to make it work on my own. I was made as a communal person, and so I actually need other people just to do life the way God intended me to do. And so... I'm a, I'm a foster parent. My wife works two jobs. She's finishing grad school. I have a job. We have two kids. I'm tired when I go to church. And yeah, there's definitely times where it's like, I would just rather be asleep right now. Yep. In fact, almost anywhere I am in that moment, I would rather be asleep. <laughs> right, right, right. Except right here. <laughs> oh, okay. um, so when I come, I don't, I don't always come with the best motivation. I okay, come because sure. I, I work there. Yeah. And yet, you know, there are, there are always exceptions to things. But like the class that we're part of, I'm just encouraged by those people. I need right. those people in my life to kind of call me back to the things that I believe. Like you were saying, Christianity isn't like, I don't know, I came to Jesus and everything was great. Like the things yeah. that I believe sometimes are really hard to believe, right? Absolutely. And so I need people that love me to call me back to those beliefs and remind me like, this is true of you. Now continue to live as if these things are true. Mm. So even when I come in to, to church, to the, to the location, wherever that is, um, you know, <laughs> with, without the best motivation... God, through his word and through people that I love, call me back to, to things that are... And that's okay. the one thing is that we need, you know, I've heard Jared say this, I've heard people in our church say this, is we need your families. You know, it, We need you to be there just for what you said, Jared, encouragement and, and, and helping guide us because we are communal. We're meant to live in community together. And if you're doing it just on your own, then it's a very self-serving kind of thing where like, I'm taking this, this message, I'm taking this bottle of water, I'm taking a drink for me and I'm just hoarding it. And that's from our, from yeah. a Christian standpoint, you're not called just to take that. You're called also to pass that along uh, and to share that because to us, it's really, it's, it's the only hope there is. It's the greatest hope there is. So. Share with who? Everybody. The world. I mean, that's that's kind of what we're we're called to do is to is to share that message and to be able to take that out and not just be a consumer of it and say, I just need everything I need for me right now so I can be I can have a better life, I can have a good job, I can because that's that's not the case. As you just said, when you become a Christian, we know lots of people at church who've given up everything to become a Christian. They've been they've their families turned their backs on them. Yeah. Uh, they 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 go through horrible things. So it's either for us, it's a matter of truth, or it's not. Yeah, and for not. my role at Grace, I, I get to be involved with our, <coughs> our 
missionary partners around the world. So I get to travel like to the Middle East and meet people who literally have taken their life in their hands to believe what they believe. So for them, it's not like, I don't know, I came to Jesus and everything was swell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I came to Jesus and the reality that I could be killed for my faith is constant and my family's turned their back on me because of that. And yet I so strenuously believe that, that I want to get together with other people just to kind of remind me like, yeah, this is worth it. It's hard, but it's worth it. But I think part of this too, this conversation that we wanted to have about what we do for a living, whether it's stand-up comedy, whether it's an actor, whether it's a writer, whether it's uh, you know a pastor, um, is where do you find your identity? And I think as guys, a lot of times, we f- I know for me, I find my identity in work and what I do. So if things are going really well at work, or I have lots of work, and because I'm a freelancer, sometimes I don't have lots of work, um, it, but if I do, everything's going great, but then when I'm not working or I don't like my job, then I my identity is tied up in that, and I feel I feel incomplete. Yeah. And I, I feel bad, and we. I just I'm interested in hearing from an agnostic viewpoint. Like, what do you? Where do you find your hope? Where do you find peace and comfort when things aren't going well in your, say, in your work life? You know, I know you. That's you, never happened. Right. Exactly. Sure. Thank you. <laughs> Finally, I've read your IMDb page. <laughs> I know that's never. You happened. know, I, I'll get to that in a second. I'm gonna one quick joke. So yes. a couple years ago, I was trying to not joke. Quick story. I was trying to get some insurance and my insurance agent is still in Wisconsin. Oh really? And so he was filling out it was I think it was home insurance. We were buying a house and you know they need your obviously your personal information. And apparently whatever insurance agency it was um Googled me and they declined <laughs> me because of my career. And I started laughing at oh, him. What? And I was like, dude, I don't have a career. I'm a stay-at-home dad. <laughs> my wife makes all the money, and he goes, "Not the way you look on the internet." And that was the first I was like, "Oh my god, I'm really good at putting things together on the internet." I was, I didn't realize so how successful funny. I looked on the internet. <laughs> how could they do you? I'm so successful on the internet. I got declined business. <laughs> That's uh, right? hilarious. Isn't that funny. And so, like, it was the first That's time amazing. I was like, "Oh, you, you." That, that was the first time it ever hit to me that you can create your own separate. It's true. Identity though. online and be living a completely <laughs> but different to life. this point, people will see something that you've done. Now you and I did a project together that was big on YouTube yeah. for a while called Policeman versus Fireman. Yeah. That one literally one day, and I had encouraged Brian, it was the stupid puppet thing that <laughs> he had started that I thought was hilarious. One morning we woke up and there was like a million views on YouTube all of a sudden because they had featured it on the front it's page. Crazy. And Back it, when you they still only featured one video. They don't really do that now. And awesome. it went crazy. So you see something like <laughs> yes. that and people automatically see, well, then you must be, A, rolling in the dough. You're super successful. Like they'll look at my IMDb page and say, wow, you've done, I don't know, 60-some TV shows or something. Like some of my friends will be like, wow, that's incredible. They assume that I'm living in Beverly Hills or something. Right. They have no idea the reality is that that and it a nickel will buy me a hot cup of Jack squat. You know, right. that's just literally it for me. It's, you know, you hope that you build up enough work that after a while you get some mailbox money and you have some residuals, which does happen, but it's not, you're not on easy street and you're not Brad Pitt, you know, but people, it's funny that they would look at your stuff that you've, cause you have done a lot of things and a lot yeah. of digital stuff. Uh, and then films and you just directed a film, but, yeah. but and people just automatically assume, Oh wow. Just like they would probably assume uh, you as a pastor. Oh, of, I'm rich. Of a yeah. mega church, right? I mean, I is Grace considered yeah. a mega church? Four jets. It's all gold, right? It's all gold. Four jets. Everything is gold? 
But what do we have? What's the our toilets are gold, oh, Brian? What's our? It's membership? like Trump Tower. In there. What's our membership? Like three thousand, four thousand? Uh, membership's eighteen hundred. Attendance is about twenty-five. Okay, but it's a it's a big church. Okay, and so I, I I would imagine too that some of your friends from North Carolina would look at the big move to Los Angeles and yeah. say, "Oh, wow, you're, you know, oh, I've big made time. It. I've arrived. Absolutely, right. yeah. I mean, this right. is this is it. Right. Do you make it rain at church every week? I'm glad <laughs> you asked that, Brian. <laughs> I'm more of a cyclone man myself. Okay. Oh yeah. No, I think. Do you have a money booth? <laughs> yes. <laughs> How a could money, we not have a money booth? A money booth. Did you pray a lot this week? Oh, We're about sh- to find out in the money booth. Oh man. <laughs> this man had four prayers. Come on down. Oh, Dan's over on the keyboard. Dan, play him into the booth. Hey everybody. Oh, the money booth. Dude, all of Valencia would come to grace. It's if just had a one dollar bill floating around. They'd be like, well, looks like somebody didn't do it. No, no, worse yet, you got ten grace bucks. <laughs> <laughs> we're ten cents in real okay. You know, before right before we get to first Peter, we're gonna go into the money booth, everybody. <laughs> okay, so hold on. I gotta leave because this is a great idea, and I gotta run down to church. We yeah. gotta talk about this. Exactly. We gotta pitch this. Easter's coming up. What uh, you, you want to say? Something? What? No, no. I'm trying. To, we, we have to. We're trying to circle back, and I'm not having yes. my circle back memory right now. Where no, do we need to? So get back I, want, to? I want to find out when things, career-wise, are not where you want oh, them. Where right. do you find your hope, your comfort, just from a worldview position? What gives you the strength to carry on? First, yes. No worldview. Okay. Secondly, age view. That's from no, a, and, and, and life view. Like I, I have repositioned myself. To not, and you and I know this because we've had many, many conversations where we seem to be obsessed about our next project and like mm. who's going to care and and, mm-hmm. and and really putting too much importance on uh, that creative aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And, and if you do that, you tend to neglect all those other great moments in your life, whether it's your marriage or your kids or other things that you experience doing with your friends or whatever. So I, 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 a couple years ago, as much as I made fun of it, um, uh, being a stay-at-home dad and and getting involved with my kids' lives and getting involved in that experience created a, a huge shift for me. That's why I say it's not a worldview. It's actually a little bit smaller than that. It's just within that kind of like uh, that, that subculture that I eventually embraced. That's where I kind of get my perspective from, which is engaging, um, whether it's coaching kids or being the PTA president or just volunteering at the pancake breakfast or doing something simple, which I know if you are not, and you're listening to this and you are not married and you are 20 years old and you are, <laughs> you can still yourself, be PTA president. You are okay. everything I'm saying that is positive right now to you is resident is bouncing <laughs> off your forehead of the saddest we lost, possible potential. Where does life avocado goal. toast fit into yeah. that? But we lost it, the millennials a long time but ago. What it, what it did was it allowed me to re re examine what I deemed as a successful life. It was no longer living in Beverly Hills with the big house and having 16 cars and a yacht and, and living the life of George Clooney. It just wasn't. Now, does that mean that like, well, that's sad that you just, you've given up on it. It's like, no, I shifted my goals. I was like, you know, yeah. what I actually have mm-hmm. can be pretty sweet. So um, to answer your question, like if I'm not doing something creative, which I try to, but when I'm not, my default position is being engaged in my community uh, at school. And I really enjoy that. Like even when it sucks, you know, cause you know, working with mm-hmm. volunteers and people with different perspectives, yeah. different personalities, it can mm-hmm. be harsh sometimes, mm-hmm. but even on its worst day, I, that's, I think I'm driven by 
coaching as coaching kids or helping out at school or you know like this morning i showed up and no one was there to do valet to let the kids out and like my instinct kicked in right away i'm like i don't want kids getting hurt i'll go do it i don't care and i had fun with it and like hmm. and i felt like just yeah. in that moment instantly fulfilled like i was like i'm like good day good day like so, i that that's how, uh, my perspective has changed in that in that way i get a lot out of helping people I don't want to do it too much because that can be draining as well. But that's well. Let me ask you this: so, it's so that makes perfect sense. You get it from your kids' school being involved in that. Once your kids are older and you're not at that school anymore, I don't know. What, Scary. So what? Well, then where where will you find identity? I don't know, and that that's the unknown. I, I really don't know. But I also and and it's a, that's a legitimate question. But I'm also <laughs> trying to not do that. I'm trying to not live in the future because what ends up happening, and I've done this from a creative standpoint too. Yeah. These imaginary vision boards that you put inside your brain, that's bad because then you don't live in the moment. You don't, you don't cherish and, 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 and my son just turned 13. You know, he was just a little baby who needed his butt wiped yesterday. That's the way in our, in a, as a parent's mind, that's how you think your kid's going to college. I mean, it's like, I, I want to be there for it so that I don't feel like it happened too fast. So I don't want to, I don't want to get too far in the future. I want to make sure that I'm living in the now. Gotcha. It's interesting. It's a good word. Dan, how would you answer that question? Kind of being the same profession. Uh, well, you know, if I'm going to answer it honestly, a lot of times I, I have it's a battle for me because I, for so many years, uh, because I didn't come to my faith until I was later in life. So, especially my early twenties, being in California, it was all about success. It was all about making it. It was all about why are other people getting jobs and I'm not getting jobs. I'd see friends of mine in commercials or TV shows. And I couldn't be happy for them. I was. I would plaster a smile on my face and act like I was, but it was heartbreaking. I was crushed by it. That, that is the industry you guys are in, right? Yes. It's kind of like either you're making it. Right. And, and, and also because when I would go home and people would say, what have you done or what are you doing in California? You know, you don't want to say, well, I'm, I'm a DJ for bar mitzvahs and for weddings. Uh, you know, you, you want to say I'm in California. I went out there for a specific purpose. I'm, I'm in a TV show. I'm in a commercial. And you can't always say that. So uh, it wasn't until I started understanding my faith a little bit where and I still battle this. But honestly, I will. I had a meltdown a week ago where I was I had had a, a series of what I felt were really good interviews, good meetings, good auditions, uh, big things, good things, and none of them came to pass. None of them came to fruition, and I was, I was just, it was just the day that I'd had enough. And luckily, I'm married to a great wife who talked me through things. Um, you know, first of all, to just listen to me, which a lot of times, you know, I think as Christians, we get into, hey, I'm going to slap a scripture on that and just be on your way and you're going to be fine. I think it's much more nuanced than that, as you know. But do you have mugs that have scripture on them? Because that uh, really course. is pretty, pretty But important. it's on the bottom, so as I drink my coffee, uh, the once you got to get to the end of the yeah, cup. you got to get to the end of the, the cup. The solution By really is at the bottom of the on, glass, right? Oh, look, John 3.16. That's, that's, right that's what we call getting jacked cup. up on Jesus. Right. It's, a, exactly. it's in the cup. But she also is able to, and as you, my friend, are in our class that we talked about, people who understand what we're going through because they're you know we have people in our small group class a guy's an editor we have friends who all kinds of things in the business but from the christian perspective i i for me it's the battle of my humanness starts taking over and i have to say but wait a minute where is my ultimate identity my identity is in christ so that's no matter what i know that the creator of the universe uh has my best interest at heart and that whatever the outcome, I'm not going to manage the outcome. To your point, Brian, you start looking too far down the road and you start managing outcomes and that drives you crazy. For me, my faith helps me not manage the outcome because I know 
when in my moments of clarity, when I am closest to God, which I'm not always there because sometimes my humanity gets in the way and my sin gets in the way, but in those moments, my hope is in the fact that something greater than myself, someone greater than myself, has my my trajectory planned out. There's a, and when I was having this crisis, there, there are there is huge value to scripture for me because I went to Proverbs. I think it's sixteen nine, the heart of a man. Uh, plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And for me, it was like, yeah, I can, it's not that I don't make plans. I'm going to make plans. I'm going to try to do something creative. To your point, you and I, Brian, have worked together on a million things. But if it doesn't work out, I know that my ultimate hope is because it, it wasn't supposed to work out. And I also look back on how God has carried me through certain times. And when I look at that, I'm like, wow, you know, there's so many events, especially when my mom was sick. Um, things that happen trying to manage her house and all the just the the myriad of things that would would go south on me, and I look back how God carried me through times that I thought were going to be things that were insurmountable. I'm like, wow, I actually five years later I'm through that and it, it worked out okay. So I don't know. That's where I find my hope, but not always, certainly not perfectly. <laughs> Giddy up. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I think when we think about identity, ultimately we're talking about wanting to belong somewhere, you know, and feeling secure. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that all right well thanks jared um that was really <laughs> insightful um, <laughs> listen brian <clears throat> there's gonna be a fight in the studio i just want you to know I think right dan now. and i are like really like long-winded talkers and you're like hold on i was that was a uh, that was a wind-up that was the appetizer <laughs> and now comes the steak. how many courses is this meal oh, this is a 36 course meal yeah you're gonna puke by the end of it you'll be really full so this is going to be like a Morton's Steakhouse kind of story. Oh, All right. Morton's Steakhouse. This What's is the this? cream spinach right here coming up. <laughs> it's the scallop stand. Um, I'm really getting to be a, a dad now, having adopted Andy and, and having Kay in our house. Um, I just love it. And there's this moment, uh, you know, I've had to work a lot, and Janelle has too. And he was telling me the day, do you have to go to work today, Dad? Yeah. Can I go with you? No, buddy. I wish you could. Yeah. I wish you could so bad. Yeah. And, and just... You know, whatever happens at the day to come home and my kids don't care. Yeah. They didn't they didn't get those angry emails. They didn't get yelled at. They didn't fail in the objective they had. Um, that just it really roots me in like what actually matters. And I think um from a Christian worldview, like to belong to the family of God is what what roots me, right? That I'm not ultimately a dad or a husband or a pastor. I'm not a guy who likes hot dogs. I'm not a dude who's gained 15 pounds and only lost two of that in the last year. (laughs) I'm a son of God. And so like there's this belonging, I think, that kind of transcends circumstances, which which is cool because, yeah, I I don't know if you get angry emails. I get angry emails. Oh, yeah. Some good ones. I think uh, you get a lot. You get more than, I mean, I think that's one of the challenges of ministry, certainly, is you get, you know. Well, I kick them back. Let me tell you. (laughs) I got this virus I had a friend make, and uh, send that right back. Grace to you, friends. Hey. <laughs> hey. So let's end with this. Uh, what's what's the weirdest thing that's happened to you on stage? Or the weirdest thing you've observed? <laughs> Just like kind of the most outlandish, like, I can't believe that happened, or they said that, or, or something like that. Brian? You want me to take that, or you want to go? Do you have? Do you have one? I, want I do have one. Do you want to think about it? I want everybody. Yeah, give me a sec. So go ahead. I'll give you a second. The the probably the wow the strangest, but still most uh, compelling and hilarious thing that's ever happened was at the Improv, and I, it was a show called The Zephyr Show. You remember The Zephyr Show on Thursday nights with these crazy guys called the Beef Curtain Cowboys and the show was... What? Yeah, yeah. They were... Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> they were a band, so to speak. 
Uh, the, the main guy came out in a flight suit and a helmet, and then Darth Vader, a guy in a Darth Vader costume, was on a toy drum set, but he could really play the drums. It was amazing. Uh, a guy on a didgeridoo. Uh, I'm not kidding. You, that is. It, it was the long um, uh, Australian instrument, I guess you will. It's uh, blown into a piece of wood. You've ever yeah. seen that? It's like, oh yeah. So anyway, <laughs> these guys, they it was it was hilarious and strange. So these guys hosted this show. I would go on and do strange characters, but it was closed out usually by a guy named Mike O'Connell, who has written on Dr. Ken's show. He's a stand-up. He's done tons of stuff. But Mike used to do stand-up, and at that time, it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. So he played guitar. He just got crazy. But one night he got a little bit too crazy. And um, I think there was drinking involved. I'm not positive. But by the end of the night, he was always in spandex, but the spandex was gone. He was on stage with a guitar around his neck. No, nothing. Just completely, and in the middle of the audience, playing the guitar, completely naked, uh, and that's when I knew that I was in Los Angeles and things had just gone completely off the rails and I just watched it from the back of the room just thinking, wow, this is this is really happening right now. Dude, that same scenario happened at church last week. <laughs> that's crazy. That so was the was elder board, right? In yeah. the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike gets around. Yeah, apparently. absolutely. Yeah. It, but, wow. Yeah, it was, it was an extravaganza. Yep. Yep. That's when I knew I was in Los Angeles. <laughs> that's <laughs> a great line. Yep. That's amazing. How about you, Brian? Anything coming to mind? Yeah. Mine's not as exciting as yours. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there nudity, Brian? No, no. So I was doing this show in Santa Monica, and it was a red-hot show. Like, mm-hmm. what I mean by that is that every comedian was crushing. Like, yep. I was just like, and as a comedian, you're excited. You're like, hot room. Yep. A little bit easier for me tonight, because we don't always get we don't always get easy rooms. Nope. So you live for those moments because you're just like, I'm just going to have, this is going to be great. It's going to be a little bit easier for me to have a great night. And I, let's, you know, I want to take it and run with it. Right. Yep. So I'm, I'm, I'm headlining that show. Everybody's going up. Keen was there. Uh, crush, crush, crush. Audience is like, yes, everyone's a hero. Comedy is the greatest thing. It's going to save the world. Comedy. And we're like, yes, comedy. <laughs> and then it's like, it's my turn. Right. I get up there and I'm thinking, ride that wave. First thing out of my mouth, dead silence in the room. Uh, now, I'm telling you, even the worst comedian before me yeah. could have got up there and could have done anything, and they were yeah. like literally wanted to carry them off the stage yeah. as, a, as a hero. Yeah, yeah. I keep going. I'm like, this, this can't be happening. And I'm like working oh, it, like gosh. nothing. Nothing. Silence, silence, silence. Uh, I get done. I storm off the stage. I'm like, I'm like shell shocked. <laughs> I literally just, I walked out. And out and went home. I didn't talk to anybody. I contemplated quitting comedy that oh night. Gosh. Right? Nothing. Didn't talk to anybody. There was a separate independent show the next night there. And for whatever you know, I kind of got myself back up. Like, oh, get over yourself, boo-hoo, poopy pants guy. Get back out there, right? Bootstraps, you know, the whole speech. So I get there early. Can you and send me that speech? I need that. Actually. <laughs> I need that. Yeah, speech. Yeah, send that to me. pants, bootstraps, <laughs> just cutting to the key moments of the uh, of the, of the speech. Um, I get out front, and uh, Chris Fairbanks is there. Comedian Chris Fairbanks is there, and I was like, "Hey, man, what's up?" He's like, "Dude, I felt so bad for you last night," and I was like, "I know." Like I'm like, everyone's crushing. I don't get this. Like I can't believe I suck so bad. He's like, "What?" And I'm like, yeah, I had the worst set of my life. I wanted a quick comedy. He's like, no. He's like, you didn't know what happened? And I was like, no, what happened? 
And he said, as you were going up on stage, this couple wheeled in this kid who had some sort of like, he was like in like this wheelchair that like needed all these, like he was basically oh like God. needed like a, a breathing mask and all this stuff. Oh and he goes, everybody just kind of felt horrible for this kid and the focus shifted oh, wow. to him. And so they weren't even paying attention to you. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I was like, oh my gosh. Wait, what? Right. And like, my, and you know, my default position is like, I feel horrible for the kid because like, first off, the parents probably made a bad choice. Like, you kind of have to be aware of your surroundings because like to me, yeah, I yeah. feel now like now I feel guilty. Like, oh, boo hoo me. Right. Yeah. This kid just kid, came yeah. to come yeah, and have yeah, a yeah. great time. And everybody <laughs> in the audience just took a dump on him because yeah. they're like, we're not even going to enjoy ourselves. We're not laughing. Nobody laugh. Nobody, Nobody laugh. laugh. Oh Let's just gosh. stare at the kid who has a condition. Oh. Make it even worse for him in a moment where he probably th- thought, oh, everyone. Because, right. Think about this family. They're going. Great things are happening in this room. Right. Happiness yeah. and joy. Yeah. The same thing that was going through my head, right? The high fives. Like <laughs> me, that family, we all thought this is the place to be yeah. tonight. If we want happiness this in our lives. This will make Johnny feel better. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> and wow. it turns out it was a big turd bomb. <sighs> That's almost as bad as the leper convention I did one time. That was horrible. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like yeah. for me, I, I love telling that story only because it, again, I gained perspective in yeah, that yeah, moment. Yeah. Yeah. I gained perspective and I also gained like empathy like for like you trying to, ultimately you can't really control what happens in front of you as an audience. You can't control what yeah. happens in front of you when you're doing a sermon. Mm-hmm. But it did give me perspective of you have to sometimes understand, going back to what you talked about earlier to wrap this up in a weird way, not even realizing it. Mm-hmm. You don't know where everybody's coming from when they walk in that room. You don't yeah. know what kind yeah. of life they've lived, no. lived yeah. up into that moment they, they stepped in. Yeah. So it's just kind of like it. Gave, it you, you just kind of just have to kind of go with it, and life is going to toss you these things. Sometimes you just got to deal with it and move on. I made it a very selfish moment, mm. and like so, when I tell the story, I do make it about well, how sure. selfish it is for me. Yeah, but it's but then to be able to have that recap and look at it, I've yeah. my perspective completely changed that night once I was told what happened. Like I never <laughs> have ever again taken yeah. it personally on stage how things go because huh. I just don't know. Yeah, yeah. you don't know what's going on, on with people. There. Yeah. That's yeah. point. And I'm not going to boohoo me. It's like, it's just not going to do it. But yeah, that was a rough, at the end of the day though, I still tell you, Oh yeah. looking back on it, that was some rough stuff. <laughs> you just don't understand. Yeah. Like there's right. not yeah. connecting yeah, yeah, yeah. with an audience. Right. But then there's, but to not connect yeah. at all when like everybody else has five people before yeah. you, like literally being carried yeah. off stage, being yeah. given birthday cake, like <laughs> everyone was having a great time. And then you come up and they're like, kill him, oh. kill him. <laughs> Follow him to his car. <laughs> Bring us his head. <laughs> Oh, Anyways, man. that's oh, yeah. rough. Okay, so I want to uh, now we need to ask Jared. Jared, what is the strangest, yeah. uh, most awkward uh, thing that's ever happened to you preaching? I'm sure there's never been anything. It's always gone perfectly, correct? Well, it's always me <laughs> stepping in it. So, does it always finish with a white dove flying out of your hands? Two white doves. Because you do magic as well, correct? Well, yeah. Okay, I just want to confirm. Well, he no, calls I, them illusions. I pull, I pull Bible verses out of my sleeve <laughs> on hankies, and then the doves go. Um. So this is out in California. I was still a youth pastor. Um, and I was trying to, to give a, uh, an example that would illustrate a point I was making at the beginning of a lesson and was just talking about, um, I don't even remember the context, but just talking about a, a relatively low talent person and how they compare to other things. And there was this youth leader that we had who was a college student 
And she was extremely, like everybody knew she was extremely talented. Mm-hmm. She studied piano, taught piano. She had this great singing voice. She was really intelligent. Um, and so in my mind, I was like, well, I'm going to pick on this person as an example of a relatively low talent person. But it's ironic. Like everybody knows. Yes. That Everyone that's knows not, irony. Everybody, all these junior high students that I'm talking to understand irony and everyone's with me in what I'm doing. So I'm giving this example, like relatively low talent person, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you know, like Michaela here, you know, everybody knows that she has, you know, no skill in life and uh, start to move on. And you know, when you say something you think people are going to laugh at and instead they go, oh, well, everybody did that. Like, <laughs> ouch. Like, oh, no, no, I didn't. I didn't. Oh. I didn't. It was, it was irony. It wasn't an ouch. Like it wasn't. And then she starts crying. Oh, it was like, oh, um, Jeez. man, that, I, I didn't mean that. It didn't come out right. Wait, so, so in the, did you stop it right there? And oh, then? I had to. Like I got a collective, ugh, like you know, like you punch somebody and the air came out of them, and then she starts crying and was like, uh, "No, no, stop, no, no, it's got to oh. be." Um, so you you explained <laughs> it in the moment, yeah. Which well, it, you good. had no choice, right? I I had, but, so how did it? But did did you were you able well, to clean I, it up? I just had to stop and say, like, <laughs> I am so sorry. First of all, I don't believe that. Obviously, and listed off all the things she does. Like, you're obviously an incredibly talented person. Everybody here loves you. I'm in you. pain right now just trying to figure out how you were getting out of this because you didn't just do it one-on-one. This is you and a lot of no, other people. No, this is the kind of thing like, yeah, I left the church when I was 13 because my youth pastor berated this wonderful <laughs> oh. person in there. So I'm thinking like, no, no, no. I, I don't believe that. You're, you're, you're obviously really talented. I not only misspoke, but that just wasn't helpful. I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? And she did. Did she get it? She right. got it. And then like, I connected with her afterwards and apologized again. And then I texted her later like, I, I'm still devastated by Oh my gosh. And it was like a good oh. moment to remind me like, just stick to your script, dude. No, <laughs> yeah, nobody yeah, pays yeah, you yeah, to yeah, tell yeah. jokes. Nobody thinks you're funny. And... You're, you, well, you're a pretty toxic person. That's, but that's <laughs> not true. People do think you're funny and stuff, but I get it because, again, if you're doing stand-up or something, that's kind of, that's the realm that, like, people, ex- although with political correctness sometimes now, it's you you got to police yourself even with that. But I, I understand. If I was doing what you're doing, no, she was I would absolutely script things out. I just, well, if you so speak for a living, you're going to say something at some point that's... <sighs> I'm that assuming work. two things. One, you've never used irony as part of your speeches again. But two... Right. Um, it's what you had is a, this guy understands moment. That's what yeah. comed- like you've yeah. seen comedians do that on stage. You're like this guy over here gets it right, and you just when you as soon yeah, as you yeah, do yeah. that, right, right, you right. don't know if they're in on the joke or not. You're yeah. taking a risk when you launch. My mom just died. You jerk. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and then you look over and you notice the guy's on dialysis right, right there in the middle and, of the thing. So it's exactly like, like Brian. And, and there it yeah. is. That's what you that you had that moment. Yeah. Right. You so know what's up? Right. Did you have to go to her parents or anything? Or did no, you? no, this was a leader. So she, oh, she's an oh, adult. Oh, my God. Um, and we're friends to this day. We can now laugh about it looking back. <sighs> but it was, yeah, in the moment, it was, wow. I don't know how your life works, but usually when I'm trying to fall asleep, my brain's like, let's just replay all the moments that you've, <laughs> you've heard people and said dumb stuff. So that's, uh, that's a top five. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of a, another episode of Christianese. Uh, thanks for joining us, gentlemen. Thank you for being here. America. Dan, thank you. Uh, I'm going to have Barb Barb take us out with a little organ music. Barbie. And while she does that, I want to just think about the fact that uh, I once performed with somebody who was completely naked on stage. Think about that in your sleep, kids. Enjoy. Sweet dreams, everybody.